Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to pick it up in verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. When they had fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass, after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. His mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? Wished you not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spoke unto them. And he went down with them, and he came to Nazareth, and he was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Father, we love you tonight. and We praise you tonight. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would speak to us tonight. Lord, not just in our ears, but in our hearts. Lord, people don't need to hear me. They need to hear you. And I pray, God, that you'll touch us tonight. I pray you fill up our cups. I pray you help us tonight, God. Help me preach. Help people to listen. Lord, most of all, help us to just love you with all our heart. We thank you again for being so good to us, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to look at a couple things before I begin the message. Number one, in Luke chapter 2, Jesus is now 12 years old. We just read about his birth. So in just a few verses, we go from him being born, being a baby, to being 12 years old. We won't read in the scriptures any more about Jesus until he's 30 years old and he's being baptized. He begins his earthly ministry at his baptism. He's in the water, the Son of God, and the voice from heaven, the Father, saying, Beloved, this is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Joseph is mentioned here when Jesus is 12 years old, but we won't see anything more of him in the scriptures. We just assume that somewhere between the time Jesus was 12 years old and 30 years old, Joseph, uh, I would just guess that he passed away uh, at that time. Notice this in verse number uh, 48. When they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now when she says this and talks about his father, she's talking about Joseph. And if you look in the Bible, the father is spelt with a small f. Jesus said, Wished you not that I must be about my father's business with a big f, talking about our heavenly father, and notice how the King James Bible protects the deity of Christ. 
Joseph was maybe his earthly father, we could say that, but he wasn't his real father. And then look in verse 44, they supposing him to have been in the company. They're traveling, they're going back home, and they just take it for granted that Jesus is with them. We should never take the presence of the Lord for granted. Remember Samson? The Bible says he wist not that the Spirit had departed from him. He wasn't there. God wasn't with him, and they didn't even know it. Hold your finger here. We'll come right back. Look in Revelation chapter number 3. A very, very familiar verse. Verse number 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I'll come into him and sup with him, and he with me. Now, many times as a preacher, I've preached this message about the idea that we need to ask Jesus into our heart. He's knocking at the, the door of our heart, and he wants to come in, and we need to open the door. And I don't think any of that is wrong. I think that's a good way to invite people to come to Christ. I don't see anything wrong with that. But when you look at these verses, Jesus isn't knocking at the door of our heart. Jesus is knocking at the church door. He's knocking at the door of the church. And this Laodicean church is going on as usual. Business as usual. And they're in there and they're doing whatever they're doing in there. Just supposing that the Lord is there. And the sad part is they don't even know he's not there and they don't hear him knocking. I believe today in Christianity, or so-called Christianity, there's a lot going on, and God's not in it. I see a whole lot of stuff going on, and it's entertainment, and it's a big hullabaloo, and a lot, lot of emotion, but the question is, is God there? I want to reach all the people I can for the Lord. We run buses, we knock doors, we do the things you do as a church. And it's important that, to bring as many people under the Word of God as we can bring under the Word of God. But when I pray on Saturday for our church on Sunday, I ask the Lord to bring the people in, and I want the Lord, to, the people to be there. But more than that, I want the Lord to be there. I believe this, the most important thing in our worship, and Brother uh, was talking about worship, the most important thing is God has to be here. God has to be. We need, we need the presence of the Lord. I want people to come. I don't want people to come and hear a message about God. I want people to come and hear from God and get touched from God. Years ago, we had a lady visit the church, and she paid us the greatest compliment that I've ever been paid as a pastor. Folks went out to visit her, and she said, yeah, well, I came to church, and she said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. And they said, well, why aren't you coming back? She said, there's too much God there. Now, there wasn't too much God there, and we don't, I don't have too much God, believe me. But you know, today, there's a lot of people don't want too much God. They don't want too much God. I don't know about you, I hope you're like me. I want all the God 
that I can get. They took him for granted, and he wasn't there. Jesus is 12 years old, and he says, I must be about my father's business. I, we talked with the men at 5 o'clock, and I mentioned the importance of young people serving the Lord while they're young. Not to wait until they get older and their hearts get harder. And then notice this, and this is just an introduction to my message. Verse 51, the Bible says he was subject unto them. Joseph was not his real father. Today we have a lot of his and hers and ours and all kind of stuff going on. But Jesus was subject unto them. He put himself under their authority. And then just one more thing. Look at verse 24, Luke 2, 24. And uh, it talks about a sacrifice. And they brought a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is what poor people sacrificed. If you look in the book of Leviticus, they were supposed to bring a lamb and a pigeon or a lamb and a dove. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, you brought two pigeons or two doves. And when I think about this, I think about how Jesus was poor on purpose. And he became poor that we might become rich. Let me say, it's not a bad thing to be poor. Abraham Lincoln said, God must love poor people. He made so many of them. But Jesus said, blessed are the poor. If you're poor, you're in good company. We're in good company because Jesus was poor. He said, the, the birds have nests and the foxes have holes. Son of man hath not where to lay his head. So we just need to rejoice in the Lord no matter what our financial situation. I want to preach, hopefully briefly, I don't want to keep you all night. I want to preach tonight on the idea of losing Jesus. Don't lose Jesus. Here they are, and they come to Jerusalem. They come to worship, and they're going back home, and they just take it for granted that Jesus is in the company, that Jesus is with them. And then all of a sudden, they realize he's not there. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. You cannot lose your salvation. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. We don't have to worry about losing our salvation, but we have to worry about losing our closeness with the Lord and our love for the Lord. We can't lose our salvation, but we can get a cold heart. Let me say it again. We can't lose our salvation, but we can get a cold heart. Look again, hold your finger here, go back to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. And we have the church at Ephesus. And in verse 2, the Lord says, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how thou cannot bear them which are evil, Thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and has found them liars, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Here's a busy church. Here's a, a working church. Here's what we would call a, an active church, a, 
It's not a dead church. There's a lot going on. But notice after he praises them for all that, he says, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Thou hast left thy first love. Now, over in Matthew chapter 22, they came to Jesus tempting him. And they said in verse 36, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Now go back with me to Luke chapter number 2. It's important for us to be busy for God and it's important for us to serve the Lord. But you know what God wants from us more than anything else? He wants us to love him. My wife's with me tonight. And I'm thankful that my wife cooks for me. And I'm thankful that my wife keeps the house clean. But can I tell you, I didn't marry her to be my cook. I didn't marry her to be my maid. I married her because I wanted her to love me. And I love her. So we got to be careful that we're not so busy for God and so busy serving God that we don't have time for God. And that can happen. I'm not saying do less. I'm saying love him more. I'm talking about both. I'm not saying, you know, stop going soul winning or stop working in your class or stop what you're doing for God. But I'm saying for this, we, we need to have time for God. We need to have time for God. There's a lot of Christians get in trouble. There's a lot of preachers get in trouble. And the biggest problem is that we're not spending that time with God alone. We're not filling up with God and we're not loving God. God wants us to love him. God wants you to love him. He wants me to love him with all our heart and all our mind and all our soul. So here we talk about them losing Jesus, not in the sense of salvation, but his, his presence, his presence. The spirit of the Lord. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place, the songwriter said. And we know that it's the spirit of the Lord. And we cannot afford, listen, we cannot afford to lose the presence of the Lord in our church and in our, in our life. The idea of walking in the spirit and walking with God. How did they lose him? You know how they lost him? They traveled one day without him. Look at verse 44. They supposing him to be in the company went a day's journey and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. They just went one day without Jesus. Think about that. One day. You don't, you don't have to do wrong to lose Jesus. You don't have to go out and get drunk. You don't, you don't have to go out and gamble your money away. You don't have to do drugs. All you have to do is stop doing right. All you have to do is stop doing right. The Bible says over in James 4.17, for him to knoweth to do good and doeth it not, for him it's sin. The Christian life is a daily life. The Christian life is a daily life. We live for God every day. We pray every day. 
We read our Bible every day. We praise the Lord every day. We meditate and think about God and we commune with God every day. At least we're supposed to. I was a paper boy. Back in the day, people don't even read the paper anymore. But back in the day, we would, we would get our papers dropped off and I had a bicycle and I'd fold my papers, put them in my basket and I'd ride around town and hopefully throw the paper up on the porch. And was it raining? Was snowing? Whatever it was, you still had to go out and serve those papers. Now, I had two kinds of customers. And you're probably thinking the ones that paid you and the ones that didn't. And I had those, too. But I had two kinds of customers. One were called the dailies. Every day, they got the paper. Now, Sunday was the big paper. That had the coupons in it. That had more in it, had magazines in it. And some people, they just got the paper one day a week. They were the Sundays. Now, you roll the clock forward, and instead of being a boy on a bicycle, I'm a pastor in a church. And I look out and I think, you know what I got here? I got the dailies and the Sundays. The dailies and the Sundays. Listen, you can't be just a Sunday Christian and be a strong Christian. You can still be saved. You don't, you don't, you've heard this. We don't have to go to church and be saved. Well, let me just tell you something. You don't come to church. You get away from church. You're going to get away from God. We built a new building. We moved in in 2007. You folks, I believe, moved in 2005. And when we moved into this new building, I, I got the, the surprise of my life because we attracted a lot of new people because our building was on a main road and it's a nice building. But there was a mentality in this new group of Christians. Instead of being Sunday school and Sunday morning and Sunday night and prayer meeting, Instead of that being their mentality, their mentality is they show up Sunday morning and when they leave, they tell me, see you next Sunday. I don't understand it because when we got saved, we didn't have that mentality. I mean, we're old school, but I mean, right from the beginning, I mean, it was Sunday school and Sunday morning. And, and I'm preaching the choir because you're the crowd that came back tonight. But it, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad for you and I'm glad you know how we're supposed to do that. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't. Sometimes people will lose, they'll forget their Bible. Uh, you, maybe you've forgotten your Bible sometime at church. And somebody will leave Sunday night and, and they forgot their Bible. And they'll call me on Monday morning or they'll call the church and they'll say, uh, I was in such and such a pew and, and I was talking and I, I left my Bible. Can you see if my Bible's there? And somebody will go look and they'll say, yeah, it's there. Oh, boy, thank God. I'll, I'll come over and get it. And then there's other times when we go through and we find somebody's Bible and we put it at the welcome center. And the next Sunday, somebody comes in and I'll say, hey, we have your Bible. You forgot your Bible. And they say, oh, did I? Well, they just let the cat out of the bag. I mean, what do you mean, oh, did I? Yeah, you did. And you didn't even miss it. 
You know why? Because they're a Sunday Christian. They're not a daily Christian. If you're a weekly Christian, you're, you're a weak Christian. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. Walk with the Lord. Used to be a guy on the radio, Dr. Cook. Walk with the Lord today. I'm saying, listen, don't miss a day. Don't miss a day with the Lord. Every day is precious. Don't miss a day with the Lord. Look at number one, where they, where they uh, lost the Lord by how they did it, by, by traveling without him. Notice, notice number two, where, where they lost him. Where they lost him. They lost him in the temple. They lost him by traveling without him. They lost him, they lost him in the father's house. You know, you think the last place you would lose the Lord would be in church. You remember the story about the prodigal? We talk about the prodigal son. He's out in the pig pen. And he's out in the far country. And we say, you know, he's, he's backslidden. He's in the far country. He's in the pig pen. He's not backslidden because he's in the pig pen. He's in the pig pen because he got backslidden in his father's house. He was already backslidden before he left home. And if he wasn't backslidden, he wouldn't have left home. People out in the world, people that don't come to church anymore, people that used to come to church and now they're in the wrong place, they're out doing what they shouldn't be doing. They're not backslidden because they're out there. They're out there because they got backslidden here. We need to, we, listen, we need church. We need preaching. But we need to have our own personal relationship with the Lord and our own time with the Lord. The most important time you have with the Lord is your private time with the Lord. Elijah was at that brook Kira. And he was drinking the brook and he was feeding the food that the ravens brought. And he spent three and a half years there before he ever went up on Mount Carmel and prayed down fire. He spent that time alone with God. You, you need to, listen, we need to make time for God. We need to take time for God and spend time with God. He got backslidden in the Father's house. Look at who lost him. How they lost him, they traveled without him. They went one day without him. Where they lost him, they lost him in the Father's house. But look at who lost him. Mary and Joseph. I mean, of all the people in the world, the Bible says, Mary, blessed are thou among women. Joseph was a just man and a righteous man. I mean, these are good people. And they lost Jesus. John the Baptist Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. I got an operation some years ago, my carotid artery, and they, they cut me from the ear down to the chest bone. And when they did, they paralyzed one of my vocal cords. And the doctor explained it like this. He says, it's trying to clap with one hand. And I couldn't, I couldn't speak for, for five months. And I went to a doctor that does acupuncture and different things. And he, he would say to me, say something, say something. And I would say, behold, and that's all I could get out. Well, I would cry on the inside. 
I couldn't say, behold the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. And I went to a church service, and five months later, and I was sitting in the front pew, and the congregation started singing Amazing Grace, and I just started singing with them. And I could yell, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And you know what? That same John later on sent his disciples to Jesus. And he said, ask him, are you the one? Or should we look for another? What do you mean, John? Are you the one? I mean, you're the voice crying in the wilderness. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. In that discouragement, in that jail cell, what happened? Peter, Simon Peter, the first pope. I go fishing. This is after he had seen the risen Christ. He wasn't saying, let's go out and spend an hour and relax and drown some worms. When Jesus found him as a fisherman, and he forsook all, and he followed him. And now you know what he was saying? I quit. I'm going to go back where I was before Jesus came. Now here's my question to you. If Mary and Joseph could lose him, and if John the Baptist could lose him, and if Peter could lose him, do you think we could lose him? We need to be careful we don't get Peter's attitude. Well, all these other people will, but not me, Lord. We need to be careful about that. Hold your finger in Luke 2 again. In Rome, go over to Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And then notice this verse, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly according to how God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Don't think it couldn't happen to you. I don't want to think it couldn't happen to me. We need to be humble. And we need to have a certain fear of God. And the fear of getting out of the will of God. And not doing the will of God. How they found him. We see how they lost him. But how did they find him? Let me say two things about this. Number one, they stopped traveling without him. They stopped traveling without him. And number two, they came back to where he was. Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let us return unto the Lord, and he will have mercy upon us. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Here's something to notice. The Bible says they traveled one day without him, but it took them three days to find him. Look at verse 46. 
And it came to pass after three days they found him in the temple. Took him one day to lose him and took him three days to find him. You know what that tells me? It's a lot easier to get out of the will of God than it is to get back in. The further you go, the longer you stay, the harder it is to get back. My wife and I were first married. This was years ago. We had a couple that were friends with us. and The man's name was Fred. And uh, we got a couple air mattresses. And we blew them up, those plastic or rubber. We went down to the shore. We live in Jersey. We're near the Jersey Shore. And Fred and I got on these rafts. We laid down on them and we started paddling out into the ocean. And we're just going out, you know, just taking our time. Got out over the waves and we got out there and there was a current out there and the current started taking us. And uh, pretty soon we'd go down between the waves and we couldn't see shore. And we'd come up on the top of a wave and we'd see our wives waving like this. Come in, come in. And what they didn't know was that we were trying to get in, but we couldn't get in. The current took us out. It was just real, it was just smooth sailing. We just got out there. But when we turned around, we, the current was against us. And obviously we got in or I wouldn't be here preaching. But I want to tell you something, it was, it was scary. It was scary enough that after 50 some years, I still remember it. And I remember how we struggled. And I remember how hard it was to get back. Let me just say this. It's better not to get out of the will of God than to try to get back in. You know, if you never take a drink, you don't have to worry about quitting. And if you never do drugs, you don't have to worry about quitting. Sin will take you further than you want to go. And it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. And it'll cost you more than you want to pay. Some people, you know, we, we kind of play with sin. We kind of like, well, God will forgive me. We need, we need to be careful. Some people never do get back. Some people never do get their life back together. And even if they do, it's not the same. I remember preaching in Gloucester, New Jersey. And I was at a meeting and there was a pastor there. And when I was leaving, he told me, he said, I'm, I'm praying for you. I pray for you every day. And I thanked him. About a year later, I was doing a wedding in Oklahoma. Little town, Cherokee country, Oklahoma. My wife and I had never been there before just a small church, and a couple had asked me to do their wedding. And I said to my wife, I said, I know that piano player. She looked at me like, you don't know. We've never been here before. This little church out in the middle of nowhere. I said, no, I, she seems really familiar. We went downstairs, had a little reception there in the bottom of the church. Piano player came up and said, hello, Brother Clark. I said, hi, who are you? And she told me, I'm so-and-so's wife. And it was that pastor. I said, what are you doing here? She said, well, my husband got involved with another woman, an older woman, 
real estate lady, has a lot of money. And he quit the ministry, quit the church. And this is my home out here. This is my mom and dad. And he put our stuff in a truck and he drove me out here. I thought, how sad. What a tragedy. About six months later, we were at the church and the couple that I had married, the, the lady was in our church now. And she came up to me and she told me this pastor's name. She said, you remember so-and-so? I said, yeah. She said, he got killed in Afghanistan. Now what he did, the lady dumped him that he left his wife for. And he ended up joining the military, went to Afghanistan, and ended up getting killed. Now there's two ways to look at it. One way to look at it is to say, well, he gave his life for the country. But the other way to look at it is he should have never been out of the ministry in the first place. And if he's doing what he's supposed to do, and, and I hate to say this, but I don't know if God killed him or not. I know this, I don't want to take any chances. My wife and I used to go down to South Carolina every year and preach for a pastor down there in a church, just a little country church. I like little country churches. I like big churches, monster churches. But uh, church is good, however the size. But we would go down there every fall and preach and go soul winning. And uh, one year the pastor didn't call me. And I thought, well, he wants to do something new, get somebody new in. I understand that. It's, it's, it's not a bad thing. And then after a few months, the pastor's brother-in-law called me. And he said, you know, brother so-and-so, he was working a job because the church wasn't big enough to support him. And he got involved with the secretary there. And he left his wife, and he left his kids, and he left his church. And I thought, man, what a tragedy. So we had a tournament. We had a basketball tournament for our Christian school. And I went to this other church to the tournament, and I ran into a lady who was a member of that church down in South Carolina. Just a little church with 20-some people. And I thought, what, what a coincidence to meet her here. And she said to me, she said, did you hear about Brother so-and-so? And I said, oh, yeah, I said, that, that breaks my heart. I need to get a hold of him. I need to talk to him, and maybe I can talk him some sense into him. And she said, you didn't hear about Brother so-and-so. She said, he got involved with this woman. They had a big fight, and the lady threw him out. He left in his pickup truck. He came back a half an hour later, and he beeped the horn. She came to the door, and he put his pistol in the mouth and pulled the trigger. I could tell you more stories, but I don't want to just discourage you. Here's what I'm saying. Stay in the will of God. Stay close to the Lord. Stay in love with Jesus. Because it's a lot easier to stay in the will of God than it is to get back into the will of God. Let me say lastly where they found him. We talk about what they did, they, they lost his, his presence, the closeness, the love. They lost him in the temple. Where they found him. My son, Michael, my youngest son, was about 12 years old. We went up the Delaware Water Gap and we were deer hunting. It's all mountains up there and a lot of woods. We got up there before daylight, probably about 4.30 in the morning, and we followed the Adirondack Trail back into the woods. We went about 
four and a half miles into the woods. We hunted that morning and we saw some deer, but we didn't get anything. So in the afternoon, I told Michael, I said, look, you get up on this rock and I'm going to walk around and maybe I'll push a deer out to you. He had an orange hat on, he had an orange coat on, had orange pants on. Looked like a giant orange sitting on a rock. It was cold. It was probably about four or five degrees. It was going to go down about 10 below that night. There was snow on the ground. And it gets dark early in the mountains because the mountains hide the sun. And it gets dark. And when you're walking in the mountains four and a half miles, you've got a long walk. So I started walking around and I was waiting to hear him shoot. We'd done it before and he killed deer that way. And uh, I walked around and didn't hear anything. He didn't see anything. So I walked a little further out and a little further out. And you know, after a little while, all the rocks looked the same. And all the trees looked the same. And all the snow looked the same. And I didn't know where I was. But worse than that, I didn't know where he was. I told him, I said, sit on this rock and stay here. And don't you go anywhere until I come back for you because I didn't want him getting lost. So I thought, well, I'll holler. So I hollered and I hollered and I hollered. And there was no answer. And I was getting pretty desperate. It was getting later. And I knew it was going to get cold that night. And I knew we had four and a half miles between us and the road. And by the grace of God, after about a long time, I saw an orange dot through the trees. And I got back there, and you know what? He was right where I left him. I found him where I left him. He never moved. He never went anywhere. I did. You know where you're going to find the Lord? Right where you left him. Maybe you got discouraged. Maybe you just stopped reading your Bible. Maybe you didn't have much of a prayer life. Maybe you got into some sin. Maybe you got bitter. Maybe you got critical. Wherever you left him is where you're going to find him. To go back to that place. I mentioned this when we spoke with the men. Jacob's father asked him, said, what's your name? He said, Esau. He was lying. He wasn't Esau. He was Jacob. Later on, when he wrestled with God, you know what God asked him? What's your name? In his memory, in his mind, he was bringing him back to that place where he needed to get right with God. Let's read one verse. Revelation chapter 2. We already read it. In verse number 4, Nevertheless, I have something against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Now here's the solution. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. Was there a time when you were closer to the Lord than you are tonight? A lot of times people, when they first get saved, they're all excited. They're on fire for the Lord. 
but they let that fire burn them. He said, remember, remember from whence thou art fallen and repent and do the first works or else I'll come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick. God says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh unto you. We need to go back to where we lost him if we want to find him. We need to stay close to the Lord. We need to love God. The greatest commandment, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy mind.